Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, last week, as we ended our study with Lot's wife looking back, okay? And, and I, I, mean, I mean, just thinking about this all week long, Lot's wife looking back, her heart, if you will, was in Sodom, okay, was there, and, and in the last minute she turns around, see the angel of the Lord came to her and said, don't look, don't look back, once you, go, once you, once you get going, go, you don't want to see the destruction, and right at the end she turns, and, and her heart was there, and she turns around, and, and no more Mrs. Lot. And this really broke my heart as I thought about it throughout the week, and, and you go, why, Pastor, why would you even care about Mrs. Lot or a pillar of salt or whatever that, no, that's not the point, because I want to fast forward into 2019, and, and here's what I see, so many people today, guys, they give up a life walking with Jesus because they look longingly back at the world. The Lord tells us, once you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. And so many people go, oh, and, and, and here's what we learned last week, guys. We learned that we learned all about the struggle being real, and it is real. The struggle is real. We're just, but here's what we learned. We learned that Jesus, our Jesus needs to be more than what our heart remembers or even longs for. Jesus has to be more. So what we want to do is let's take a brief moment to talk about what we learned last week. And go back just a little bit, get a recap. In Genesis chapter 19, we're finishing out the chapter tonight. In Genesis chapter 19, it starts off with two angels coming to destroy Sodom. In verse 1, it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now, this verse is power-packed. We grab so much out of it. You go, what do you mean? Well, where do we find Lot? We find him at the city gate. Now, to you and I, that's no big deal. But when we break it down, here's what we learned. We learned that Lot basically was in a, in a position of authority, a civic leader. He's at the gate. Lot, righteous Lot, the Bible calls him, is now prospering in an ungodly city. And Lot is in his downward steps of compromise. And we talked one of the main cures, one of the main cures in keeping us from falling back into the world is to make sure, guys, we don't compromise our walk. That takes a lot of effort, right? We don't compromise our walk. Now, let's chat for a moment because I'm going to give you one more after the seven. But let's, these are Lot's downward steps. You guys know them. We've talked about them for three weeks now. The first one... If you recall, his first downward step is law begin to walk by sight and not by faith. Okay? Everything he saw, I've got to get. And, and we saw that all the way back in Genesis 13. He starts to walk. And the Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight, to trust the Lord. There are things, guys, we don't see that's going on all around us. And myself in particular, I can see. And I'm God, what are you going to do? And he says, walk by faith, trust me. The second thing we saw... Look, guys, the second thing we saw is that Lot made his own choices. He made his own choices. He didn't sit there and go, okay, you know, um, Uncle Abraham, give me your advice. Tell me what to do. Let me gather some godly men around me. I don't know. What, where should I go? He just saw the plains, and he saw Sodom. He said, oh, that looks, looks a lot like Egypt. That's where I want to hang out. Lot, don't go. Don't go to Sodom. Though The third thing he does is he pitches his tent, guys, towards Sodom. He starts to look. Hey, look at that. 
Look at that. And what we learn, guys, it's like setting our heart towards the world. Okay, we're believers now. We're walking in Jesus. We're here on Wednesday night. Amen. But the problem is, is that we set our heart, oh, the things of the world. Oh, I long for the things of the world. They're not necessarily godly things, but they're still the world. And that's what we long for. Well, it didn't take long when you pitch your tent towards Sodom that you find Lot sitting at the gate. He's in leadership. He's in the world. And the fifth downward step we learn, guys, is the moral decay of his walk and his family. Because that's what the world do. It'll break down our morality. It's the moral decay. The sixth downward step we learn, guys, in compromising is now all of a sudden, Lot lost his testimony. He lost his testimony. People didn't believe him about Jesus. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus, your religion. Okay, that's a crazy dude. And he lost it. And then where does he end up? Well, he wants to go to Zoar. We know that Zoar means small or insignificant. And so he spends his life in, it's just his life is insignificant. But there's one more step. There's one more step that breaks my heart. And this is the very last step of Lot's backsliding. Let me, let me jog your memory for just a moment. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. We see that in 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 12. Then Lot became an important man in Sodom. We saw that in 19, verse 12. But the downward step, guys, ready, listen, was the moral decay of his two remaining daughters. That was it. Number eight is Lot's daughters accepting the moral standards or lack of the standards of Sodom. That was it. And for a lack of a better word, we look at Lot and we say, man, he was selfish. He was selfish. He was always walking in the flesh. And he is often contrasted to Abraham, Lot being a type of the flesh, Abraham being a type of the spiritual man. And we see that they're going to be contrasted. Now, take a quick look. You said, well, Ben, wait, 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 wait. How does Lot daughters accept the moral standards? Well, look at verse 36 of Genesis 19 real quick. We'll get there in a moment. But the New Living Translation says it like this. As a result, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. Are you kidding me? This is one of those things where you go, no, it should never be. And, and we see the moral decay. We go back just a little bit and we contrast Abraham and we contrast him towards Lot. And we see their character. See, they were both of the same stock, guys. They were subject to the same environment and both were, the Bible calls them, justified men. The contrast in character is shown in their choices in life. When they faced a crisis. You go, what do you mean? Well, Lot, he chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. Oh, look at that. That looks great. I'm going to go. Abraham, Abraham, the Bible says, was waiting for a city which had an eternal foundation. You go, Ben, show me. In Hebrews chapter 10, or chapter 11, verse 10, it says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So, so. So Lot's over here going, ah, here's the crisis in life. I'm going to choose what I want to do. And Abraham goes, no, 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 I'm going to follow you. I'm still waiting on you, Lord. And that sounds a lot like us. When crisis hits at times, there are times when you and I, we will make choices based upon the flesh. You guys with me? We'll just make those. But, but what we want to do is we want to make choices based upon what God tells us and, and, and the word of God. And we'll see that here in the word of God. Now, 
These men are representatives, guys, of one being worldly and the other being spiritual. But the New Testament talks to us a lot about being worldly and spiritual. He he actually applies that. As a matter of fact, in the book of Titus, you can jot this down, chapter 2, 11 through 13, it says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. We go, Amen. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Titus is saying, he says, guys, listen, this is how you should live. Well, the Bible doesn't tell me how I should live. He just said you need to turn from evil ways. He says you need to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Oh, but I like it, Pastor Ben. I like it. That's so fun. He's like, no, no. He says, instead, instead, you're a different, you're a new creation. You should live in this world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward to the hope of the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. That's what Titus says to us. Now, here's what we've got to say. It's hard. We're bombarded by the world. We're bombarded with, hey, you've got to live like this. You've got to do this. Hey, you've got to have that. You should be there. And really what we need is we need to keep our eyes focused on when Jesus is going to come back for us. That's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. Everything else is... Listen... A hundred years from now, nobody's going to care where we worked or what we did or how we did it. Or, But we're going to leave a lasting legacy to our kids a hundred years from now. If Jesus doesn't come back, your kids and the people you work with, was he a solid Christian? Did he follow the word of God? It seems in the world as it gets uglier and evil, it seems like you and I have a harder time navigating godly principles as we walk in this world, and we need to. I want to be like Abraham. Abraham. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, and he says to us, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's, that should be a life verse. That should be a life verse for you and I every single day to be carnally minded is death. What does it mean? I don't die, but it does kill us a little bit each day, doesn't it? Here's the thing. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to walk in the spirit. And sometimes my flesh wears its ugly head and says, no, 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 I'm taking over today. And I make decisions and it's death. It's death of relationships. It's death, whatever it might be. And Paul tells me, he says, don't be carnally minded. So I've got to set my mind. I've got to work hard on the things above and be spiritually minded because that's going to bring life and peace. That's what the word of God says to us. So in other words, he's saying, God gives every man and woman a choice to be spiritually minded or to function by worldly wisdom. By the five senses alone, you have to make this choice sometime in your life. Worldly wisdom, listen, won't appear to be darkness, but it actually will appear to be light. Oh, let me tell you what you should do. And so at Abraham... And Lot, they're contrasted. They're contrasted. And what we can do is we can apply it to our lives, then move on to the text. You go, what do you mean? What's the difference between worldly and godly people? What's the difference? Pastor, I'm not sure. Well, jot this down if you're taking note. You know this. The worldly man seeks happiness in worldly enjoyments. That's what he does. That's the first thing. The worldly man seeks happiness in all the worldly pleasures. 
Let me give you three, three quick examples of this. That would be, number one, the frequency of his behavior or conduct. Okay? The frequency. How often do I do this? Number two, the foolishness of his behavior and his conduct. Things, things we get into that are not under the direction of God, foolish desires lead to even more foolish indulgences. The foolishness. And then number three, the dangerousness of his behavior and conduct. I read an article just this week, guys, when it was, it was talking about pornography. And of course, we know this. We know that a lot of people struggle with that. We're, we're, we don't talk about it in church, but we should because it is a danger. But what this one person said in the article is that it started off just very normal. And what it did is it got a grip, the dangerousness of taking him from watching it on the computer to actually applying it, using it, trying to... It just does something to us. And so you go, oh, 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 oh. Well, Ben, if that's the worldly man, what's the, what's the spiritual man? Well, no, well, here's the second part, guys. The gracious, godly man, he honors God above every earthly enjoyment. He honors God. Just a few minutes ago, I walked up upon Santos and a few others talking in the front, and he was talking actually about, about what we talked a little bit about on Sunday. And, and, and there is, listen, there is, worth, there, is, there is enjoyment in this world. And he was talking about, could I have a glass of wine versus not? And, and, and I like to listen because I've been pouring into him, and I like to listen and make sure, but... But he said something exactly this, and he said, the godly man honors God above. I'm free not to. I don't have to do that. See, I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. You guys tracking with me? And that's, that's what the godly man does. He says, listen, I love my brother. I love my brother. Let me give you a preview on Sunday's message, okay? Sunday's message, Paul, it's a messy church. It's a messed up church. There's people in it. Can I get an Amen. But Paul's heart is he, he says something. Guys, when we go through that on Sunday, you're going to go, oh, my goodness. Because Paul knows that the church is about people. And he loves them. He says, oh, oh he's my brother. I love him. He calls them saints. He calls them saints. I was just like, wow. And so, again, guys, the godly man says, no, no, I know. Man, that would be fun. But, no, I, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to honor God. Guys, listen. Here's what we need to understand. We're not limited to earthly enjoyment. Okay? We need to get that. God loves us and he wants us to enjoy our lives. It's when we seek that enjoyment above or without God that makes it dangerous. Can I give you a good example? Sex. Sex, that's another thing the church doesn't talk about. Sex, don't talk about that. But, but seriously, let me just say this. You ready? God created sex. He created sex for procreation, okay, and enjoyment. Oh, no, he did. He did. So here's what we do, okay? Here's what we do. We tell our young people that sex is dirty and it's yucky and it should only be saved for your husband, right? 
And it's like, no, 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 no. I, I can see counseling in their future, right? You said it was awful. You said it was ugly. Well, I saved it for you. And it's like, no, 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 no. Guys, listen. Guys, sex is very enjoyable as long as it's within the boundaries of how God created it. Outside his boundaries, it's going to bring destruction, pain, and hurt. Here's what I thought about this, right? I thought about this. I thought about getting some wood from my house and bringing it and, and, and putting it right here on stage. Fire, you know, and I thought, I'm going to light a fire right here. I'm going to light a fire. This would be nice. Fires are nice, right? And every one of you looked and go, that's not going to fly because the carpet's going to burn. It's going to burn down the church. I'm out of here, dude. Exactly. See, we look at it and we go, but the same, the same wood in the fireplace at my house is beautiful. Because it's why? It's in the boundaries of how God created it. It's in the boundaries. It's not, it's not destructive, but we'll take that firewood, we'll put it right here on stage. Guess what's going to happen? It's going to burn everything. It brings pain and destruction. So, we have to be careful that we honor God far above the earthly enjoyment. And as we come to our study this evening, verse by verse, guys, to be quite honest, this is not a fun text. It deals with mistakes. It deals with incest, immorality. It deals with judgment, and it deals with death. But of course, at Calvary, you know we have to have the whole counsel of God. So let's read from verse 15 as a run and go. We'll make a few comments, and then we'll jump into our text. Verse 15, last week, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry saying, Arise, take your wife, your daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, I need to stop you right there. Why would Lot linger? Or was it his wife? Somebody lingered. But I'm just like, dude, this is about to go down. This is about to just get crazy. And it says, guys, and, and the angels are trying to hurry you out the door. And while Lot lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hands, in the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. They brought him out where? And set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside the city that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Help me, church. Escape to the mountains. Okay, I want you to see that. Lest you be just go to the mountains, go over there. Then Lot said, please, no, my lords. He's presuming upon God's grace. Indeed, your servant has now found favor in your sight. You have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. Now, or see now, the city is near uh, enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Please, let me escape there. It's, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have found favor concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, means little or insignificant. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar, and the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, and from the Lord out of heaven, out of the heavens. And so he overthrew the cities, all the plains, the inhabitants, the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back at him and she, or the, his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. That's where we ended last week. 
But can you imagine? Here's what I want you to see real quick, okay? They bring him out and say, okay, go to the mountains. Get out of here. We're about to destroy. He's like, no, I don't want to go to the mountains. I wonder if he was thinking, like I always like to try to put myself in, in their sandals. I wonder if he was thinking, well, Zohar could be the next Sodom. If you're going to destroy Sodom, maybe, maybe I could go be leadership there. Maybe I could, I don't know. Let me just, it's in the plain. Maybe it's, it's not too far away. And the Lord's like, no, go to the mountains. He's like, no, if I have found favor, please. And he's like, okay, go. As soon as he entered Zohar, boom. The problem was is that Mrs. Lot is walking. I don't want to give Mrs. Lot a hard time because I know maybe her heart was for her kids. I don't know. But I do know she looked back and she died. Now the scene changes. Back to Abraham for a couple of verses. Look at this. Picking up our study today in verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward the land of the plain. And he saw, behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like a smoke of a furnace. Now, that's what Abraham does. He gets up. Now, go back in your mind, guys, to the last dialogue that Abraham had with the pre-incarnate Jesus. It's in chapter 18, 31 and 32. Listen, it says, And indeed, now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He, so he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak once more. Suppose 10 would be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. That was the last conversation that Abraham had with Jesus overlooking the plane. There's 10, there's 10, 10, 10, there's got to be 10. There's got to be 10, right? Okay, amen. And he goes back. He goes back. Abraham doesn't know what's going down in Sodom. He doesn't know what's happening. He goes back, he gets, he gets with, you know, Sarah and, and, and he's having a great time and he gets up early in the morning and... He wants to see if the city's still standing. He's presuming, church, that there were at least 10 righteous people. At least 10. And, and, and so he begins to walk to the place. And I wonder what he was, I wonder what that walk to that place where, where he and Jesus last looked like. I wonder what, was he walking with confidence? There's got to be at least 10. Right, Allie? There's got to be 10. Okay. Oh, man. I'm just going to go see. My, my nephew Lot's there. Did he walk worried? Was he worried? Was he kind of going, man, I hope there's, I hope there's at least 10. Lord, I don't, I don't know. Was, was it just simply, I mean, inquisitive? Was he just going, I wonder, what if? What if? We all like what ifs, right? What if it's, think about it. I wonder what it was. But nonetheless, nonetheless, Abraham walks over to sea, gets there, looks towards Sodom, and here's what he saw. He saw smoke. Fire and brimstone raining down, not only on Sodom, but the Bible says Gomorrah too. This, listen church, this is the judgment of God on an evil and sinful city. This is what God's judgment looks like. Now, let me make you, just a quick note. You ready, church? Be careful. We We don't admonish Sodom too quickly. Be careful when like, well, that's what they got, man. Bunch of crazy people, sinful, evil people. Be careful. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Paul writing to the Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, these things happen to them as examples for us. 
they were written down to warn us who live in the age, basically to the end of the age. He says they're written for our examples. We need to learn from that. Okay, but we have a tendency to go, well, serves them right. Judgment, boom, fire and brimstone, amen. No, 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 guys. We uh, Think about this, guys. It must have been awful and a heartbreaking sight. Abraham must have said he just, he probably must have almost fainted, right? Because he doesn't know if any of his family survived. And I want you to put yourself in that, in his sandals for just a moment. Think about your unsaved loved ones that you've been praying for. And all of a sudden, you know, there's the judgment of God coming and you're going, I don't know if they're saved or not. I don't know. And he must have felt just heartbroken, and I, and I feel this, and, and all he sees is smoke, and at this point, he might be thinking, my nephew Lot and his children. My nephew Lot and his children. He must be heartbroken, but here's the point I want to make. We should never be glad for God's judgment on those who don't know Jesus. You go, Pastor, why? It's a terrible thing to fall into the judgment of God. And that's how we are. I understand, guys, that you and I will be sitting and we'll watch the news and there'll be something evil and ugly. And, and boy, our, our, get him, get him, man. And, 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 and these are people who don't know Jesus and they're, they're awful and they're ugly. And I get it. I get it. But I want to make sure my heart doesn't go, hmm, you got what you deserve, buddy. Every one of us is given the chance for salvation. Every one of us. Every single day. And every day that we wait before we give our lives to Jesus is another day where we're taking our own, our own life in our hands. And so we have to be careful. God's mercy is so great. It's so great. So here's the question. Here's the question. Would you rather fall on, uh, under the, the, the judgment of man or would you rather fall under the mercy of God? The mercy of God, right? Think about David. I want to give you an example from Scripture. This just popped out to me. Let me give you an example. David, you remember? David in 2 Samuel 24 was prompted by the devil to take a census. And he's like, not supposed to count him. He was prompted. Now, in 2 Samuel, it doesn't say, it doesn't say it was prompted. It actually says the Lord. But if you study it, in Chronicles, it says he was prompted by the devil, and the Lord actually allowed it. But bottom line is he sinned. Can I get an amen? He sinned. Okay, he disobeys God, and now here's the consequences. In verse 12, the prophet comes to him and says, Go say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments, and I will inflict on you. Can you imagine God coming to your room? Okay, here's what you've done. You sinned. Now you have, and, and so again, think about it. He says, the, the, there they are. You ready? David, what do you want? So the prophet Gad came to David and asked him, will you choose three years of famine throughout the land, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of severe plague throughout your land? Now, again, think about this. Think about this. Here's, you sinned, you disobeyed God, and here are your choices. Three years of famine throughout your land. Okay, that's going to affect everybody. Three months of fleeing from your enemies. David's like, oh, I already did that. Or three days of the plague. And here's what David says. Think it over and decide, and I will give what the Lord, give to me what the Lord sent me, he says, that I should give the Lord sent me. And David says, I am a desperate situation. David replied, 
but let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Don't let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent the plague upon Israel that morning, and it lasted three days. A total of 70,000 people died throughout the nation, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. David says, listen, if, if, if I've sinned, I want, to fall on, I want to fall on the mercy of God. I want that. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, not into men. So be careful. Be careful. Back in our text, verse 29, And it came to pass in Genesis, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Now, there were not ten righteous people found in Sodom. But I love that God extends his mercy beyond what Abraham asked, and he saves Lot. He saves Lot. That's where we leave Abraham. Okay, In a couple of weeks, we'll come back to Abraham. He's going to make some mistakes in chapter 20. He's going to go, I mean, same mistake he made before. She's my sister. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to that, but... But let's go to Lot's escape. You guys ready? Verse 30. Now we're headed back to Lot's escape. Then Lot went up out of Zorar and dwelt in the mountains. And his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zorar. He and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Okay, I just want to make this point. You get, Drop this down in your Bible somewhere. You have to. You go, what's that? God's always right. God's always right. What do you mean, Pastor? Do you remember? We just talked about this, right? And last week, we iterated the facts that the angels came out and said, go to the mountains. Go to the mountains. No, I don't want to go to the mountains, please, right? Right? And so what happens? All of a sudden, they get to Zoar. They realize, that's not where I should be. And they leave there, and they go to the mountains. Is God not always right? God's always right. And if you have little ones, you know mom and dad are right. They see the bigger picture. Right? Little Johnny, you can't cross the road. I want to cross the road. You cannot listen. I see cars are coming. I can see. No, I want to, you know, and, and we say, no, I, dad is right. You, you, ah. But what happens, guys, is we may throw a fit, but what we need to realize is that God is always right. And if we'll just study the word of God and apply it, we know that he has, his, he has, he has our best interest at heart. I'm telling you tonight, guys, that the devil is doing a, he's working overtime to steal our joy. He is working overtime to steal all of our joy. But God's always right. We win. And even though in my DVR, I know I win, I get to go to heaven, I still stand by so bad. And I hate it. Because I know God always wins. And if we'll just listen to him, Ben, if you'll just listen to me, yes, sir, Lord, I'll do this, I'll do this. I'll do this. So where Lot just didn't like Zoar, he ended up where God told him to in the in, in in the first place. I wrote in my notes here. Let's take heed of the word of God. He's always right, and he has our best interests at heart. Problem is, is that now we find a huge problem. You know, what's the problem? 
we can take a lot in his daughters because his wife's dead out of Sodom. We can't take Sodom out of their heart yet. And because now we see this is the eighth downward step of the whole family, Lot's daughters accepting the moral decay, the moral standards of Sodom or the lack of standards. They didn't have any standards. That's why. How do you know? Look at verse 31. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us as the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. What? 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 Do you guys hear what they just said? I mean, there's something in their heart. They get to a cave and they think God has destroyed the whole earth that they're going, there's not a man around. And here's what I see, because I've made the same mistake in my life. They are walking by sight once again. They're presuming that there is no man. They have not inquired of the Lord. If we were to look at our prayer life, how long do we pray for things? I don't know about you all, but when I pray, man, I, I would sure like that answer like right then and there. And God doesn't always answer. It takes a while and I'm praying and I'm going, God, please, I'm just struggling here. I'm just, I need this, I need this answer, whatever. But sometimes he takes a while to answer our prayers. Never... Never act upon what we don't know and act upon the Word of God. Never act what we don't know. We don't know what this is and we don't know what that is. But we should always be obedient to what God tells us. We know that's truth. We know that's truth. Look, she's not doing that. Look at this. The firstborn said, and I mean, think about that. This is crazy. Let's get dad drunk so we can sleep with him. Because... We're not going to be able to have babies. There is no other guys. There ain't no, I mean, this is just, any of you find this disturbing? I mean, it's just like. So what happens? In verse 33, they made their father drink wine that night. And the older went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. He must have been really drunk. <laughs> he must have been really drunk. And it happened the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with the father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. You go in and lie with him, that he may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. That's just sad. But you see, his daughters are acting out what they saw in Sodom. And if nothing else, church, we can get some great truth to this. 
is, is we have to be so careful. We have to be so careful how we raise our kids. Because they see us, and we teach them, and we teach them verbally, but they also learn from our nonverbal lifestyle. And we're good. I can attest to this. We're good at saying, do as I say, not as I do. But my kids are going, well, Dad, if you did it, it must be okay. And, and I cringe at the fact because I see it in the Word of God. But here's my job. My job is to warn y'all. When we teach our kids, remember, we, we do the best we can. Amen? But there are things that they're going to learn from us just by watching. And these two girls said, wow, we saw the moral decay of Sodom. Dad was sitting at the gate. He must, he must be okay with it. He must be okay with that. He said, wow. And I mean, and, and I mean we could take, the, listen, we could do a whole teaching on this just from, just from as, as parents, as a, as a parenting class, because, because we could sit there and we could be like Lot and we could go, hey, I'm going to watch this, but you can't watch it because it's bad for you, but it's okay for me. And they're going, but daddy, it's okay for you. And, and, and we're, what are we teaching them? If it's not okay for them, it's probably not okay for us. All right, Bible time, Bible quiz. Paul tells us, right, all things are what? But not all things are profitable, right? That's one thing. But he also tells us whatever things are pure. Help me out. Anybody know those? Holy, good report, right? He says, think on these things. I know, I know, I'm with you. I'm sitting right there going, yeah, yeah, Lord, forgive me. But we, we, we just got to, I just want to learn from this. The biggest thing, guys, in my ministry that scares me is I want to be the same pastor in my home that I am behind this pulpit. That's my goal. I want to preach in my home the same way that I am. I don't want, I don't want my kids to look at me and go, well, Dad, you were one way at church and then you were another at home. I don't want that. And it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. So what happened? Now stay with me. I want you to know the choices that Lot made cost him dearly. Because we have people out there and they'll be like, hey, listen, it's my life, dude. You know, what is that? YOLO, one life, only one life to live, whatever it might be. I mean, but, but listen what it cost him. When you start to compromise your walk with Jesus, look what it cost him. It cost him everything. What's the first thing? If you're taking note, it cost him his wealth. Lot was a wealthy guy. With I mean, that's the whole problem. The problem is like, man, I got a lot of stuff. Well, we're not getting along. Okay, Lot, well, go find a place where you're going to live. Like the, the land, this right here can't support us. Go, Lot. He was wealthy and he lost it all. What do you mean he lost it all? Think about that, guys. Everything went up in smoke. Everything Lot had. And he, he's living in a cave, apparently with wine. <laughs> I guess he had wine because he got drunk, but he's, he doesn't have anything else. And... And I started to think about that lot. Man, you're compromised. You, you lost your wealth. And and number two, he lost his wife. He lost his wife. 
She died. Well, how did Mrs. Lot die? Well, she turned around and she's the pillar of salt. I mean, let me say this to you. Listen, listen to me. Lot lost his wife way before they left Lot. They left Sodom. Because her heart, her heart was there in Sodom. Men, spiritual leaders, men, we have to protect the wives of our heart, or the, the heart of our wives. They're going to follow us. We're the leaders. They'll follow what you do. Because you look back and you say, what if? But what if Lot had never come to Sodom? Her heart wouldn't be turned to the world and wouldn't want those things. And we have to be so careful. Men, we're the spiritual leaders. We're the spiritual leaders. We have to protect our wives' heart. It's a great responsibility because here's the thing. Yes, my wife is going to stand before God alone. But you know what God's going to ask me? This was your family, son. What did you do? Were you taking care of Nathalie? Did you guard her heart? And I'm just going to be like... Lord, do you know Nathalie? No, I wouldn't say that. I'm trying to lighten the mood a little bit because seriously, I mean, it's like, listen, this is, this is God called me to be the spiritual leader. I have, to, I have to work hard at that. My job, I haven't done it well, just truth. My job is to protect her heart, not break it. But she'll follow me. Women are amazing like that. They'll, they'll follow you. They'll follow you. They'll follow you easier if, if they know you're a man of prayer. I'm telling you right now, I was trying to get a job in Missouri. Nathalie would not talk to me about it. Hey, what do you think about moving? I'm going to bed. Okay, I guess she doesn't want to talk about it. Why? She knew I wasn't praying about it. She knew it was all, it was, it was like Lot. I was looking at the money. I was looking at the bucks. I was looking about, hey, well, man, I'm going to be a regional vice president, whatever it might be. And, and she wouldn't talk to me about it. But when we were moving back, she still went, bless her heart. She still went. Just like Lot's wife went to Sodom. But when we were moving back and I was telling her that God is calling me into the ministry and I feel like, and she knew I was praying, I could tell you, I felt her right here going, whatever you want to do, I'm behind me. What? Here's what you want to hear, men. Ready? Here's what you want to hear from your wife when they look at you sincerely and say, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You're leading our family well. You're leading our family well. He lost his wife. Her heart was still in Sodom, still longing for Sodom. He lost his daughters. He lost his daughters. On the basis of chapter 19, verse 12, uh, here's what I found. Some think that Lot had sons. You can look at that for yourself. He said, because the angel said, who, who else do you have? Do you have sons, sons-in-laws? I mean, so it, he might have had sons. I don't know. His two sons-in-law, right, who were betrothed? I mean, think about it. They laughed at his warning. So his daughters died. And his son-in-laws died. He lost that. 
So is death. What else did Lot lose? Lot certainly lost his his two single daughters, for they committed the loathsome sin not long after leaving Sodom. Listen, listen to the way Warren Wearsby puts it, guys. Listen to this. He puts it like this. Lot's final days were full of darkness and sin as he committed incest in a cave. He forsook the tent for a house in the city. He ended up in a cave, made drunk by his own daughters. The children of this horrible scene, the Moabites, the Ammonites, have been enemies of the Jews for centuries, illustrating that the flesh fights against the spirit. We must be sure... We are in the will of God when we settle down with our family. Lot chose the wrong place and ruined himself and his loved ones, end quote. That's what Warren Wearsby writes. Look at verse 36. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. Now, I need to stop right there. Either they, she got pregnant right away or this happened a lot. Because I know people who say, we've been trying to get pregnant for a long, and, they, and it it. So I don't know. It doesn't say, but I'm going, what? I mean, now we know they're pregnant. We know that. The firstborn, he bore a son, and he called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son, and they called his name Ben-Amni, which is the father of Ammon to this day, where we get the Ammonites. Now remember, the Moabites and the Ammonites have been enemies of the Jews for centuries, and what it does is it illustrates the difference between the flesh, and the spirit. And what Paul does is Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, he says to you and I, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. In other words, here's what he's saying. Our sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what our sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Your good intentions. Think about that, guys. This is exactly what happens. The lust, the the flesh... Man, it lusts against the Spirit. Your Spirit is willing. Your Spirit, listen, you come in here and your Spirit wants to praise the Lord. You love to hear want to do that. And your flesh is going, I'm hungry. When are we going to eat? I want to eat, you know, or it might be something else. It always wars against each other. It's fighting. Your flesh wants, and what does Paul tell us? We need to crucify the flesh daily. We need to crucify the flesh. We need to say, no, you, no. No, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to walk in the Spirit because if I fulfill the lust of the flesh, it brings death. It means I'm going to stumble. It means I'm going to struggle. It means it's, man. Okay, so let's close. We see that Lot made a lot of mistakes. But one crucial mistake he made, listen to me, is he took his eyes off the Lord. He took his eyes off the Lord, walking with him. He took his eyes off pleasing him. And this always leads us down a path of compromise. It always does. 
If you get a moment for further study in your own Bible study, I want you to see these. I'm going to kind of give you an overview, but but just check it out. Look, it, it's interesting to contrast the two visions in chapter 18 and 19. Why? Think about this. These two contrasts, it says, Christ himself visited Abraham. But only the angels went to Sodom to visit, the, to visit Lot. Christ himself. Christ had a message of joy for Abraham and said, you're going to have a boy. It's amazing. But the angels, they gave a message of judgment to Lot. Get out. We're about to destroy this. Abraham was visited in the daytime, but Lot, they came to him at evening. Abraham was at a tent door. Lot was at the city gate. Abraham had power with God, but Lot had no influence even with his own family. Last but not least, Abraham saw Sodom destroyed and lost nothing. But Lot lost everything. Only his life was spared. Abraham brought the world blessing. But Lot brought trouble into the world. The Ammonites and the Moabites. Ben, what's the whole point of the teaching? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't compromise your walk. I know things. I know how things seem. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, for your word and the truth in your word. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. We know that you're speaking through us to the power of your Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, that you are God, and we know that we need to keep our eyes on you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, maybe you came here tonight and... To be quite honest, you're not in a right relationship with Jesus. And maybe you came here tonight and you feel like, Pastor Ben, I'm a, I feel, listen, I, I think life was okay. I think it was great. But listen, you started saying some stuff and some lights were going on. And I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I would go to heaven if I died. And you're starting to freak me out. But, but maybe today... I can surrender my life to Jesus. I got to be honest with you, Ben. Now that you, you're saying some stuff, I'm getting nervous because I don't want people to see and it'd be weird. But listen, everybody has their eyes closed and their head bowed, but maybe God is speaking to you. And on a Wednesday night with a handful of people, maybe not. But I never want to leave our gathering without an opportunity for any of us to surrender our lives to Jesus. You go, well, Pastor, what do I have to do? Just think about it for a minute. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? I'm going to ask you just simply to lift your hand. In a moment, I'm going to say, will you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you? Nobody will see. You'll just lift it up. I'll acknowledge you, and then we'll lead you in a prayer. That's all. 
Well, what do I have to pray? Why do I have to lift up my hand? What, what are people going to see? Listen, it's because I want God to see your heart. I want God to see your heart. Here's what I love about God. Even today, wherever you are in this room, he followed you all the way to church. And he's got a plan for your life. And right now, if your life is not in Jesus, listen to me. You're not in his plan. But you know what? You're only one decision away from coming to know him. And all you have to do is say yes. This is your time. This is your time. A lot like Lot, guys, we we did it our way. And we messed things up. It's time to do it God's way. So I want to do two things tonight. I want to do two things if you don't mind. When I was sitting here earlier worshiping, I felt like the Lord was wanting us, if there's anyone who needs prayer, to pray for you during the worship. But before that, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor Ben, would you, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to God. I feel like he brought me here. I felt the spirit move in my heart. I know that I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I know that I'm not right, but I know that I want to. If that's you tonight and God is speaking to you, will you just lift up your hand? Just say, Pastor, pray for me. Is there anyone here tonight? Listen, this is just between you and God. This is, we're not asking you to join a church or anything else. It's just between you and God. And I pray that God has moved in your heart during the Bible study that you say, man, I need to be right with Jesus. I need to be right. I need to surrender. I need to confess my sins and ask him to come into my heart. Would you do that right now? He's inviting you into the family. All you have to do is just accept that invitation. Listen, with a Bible study like this, there's some of us here that go, Pastor, I could use some prayer. And it just so happens that we have everybody here, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Pastor Santos to come stand up here, and I'll be up here, and if you just need prayer while they sing this last song, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for, just to pray with you. I mean, it might be something you're going through. You might be compromising and, and this is what God put on my heart, just for us to pray, just to pray with you. Hey, come on up here, pray for me. You don't have to go into details, but that's what we're here for. So don't be afraid to get up out of your seat and come and ask for prayer. We got, we got pastors up here. We're just going to love on you. We're going to pray for you. I know, I've been there. And uh, so as they lead us in worship, and we're going to spend some time just in prayer. So if you need prayer tonight, or whatever it might be. And that's what we're here for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. We love you. We're here in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you 
or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.